For over 35 years, the virtuosi of the Canadian brass have been making the brass quintet a great vehicle for serious concert music. They have a long history of excellent performances and recordings of Baroque and classical repertoire, a huge repertoire of engaging transcriptions representing 400 years of music, a commitment to new composers, a remarkable versatility that allows them to play Bach, Beethoven, Boogie Woogie, and even the Beatles, but most of all, a Canadian brass performance is just plain fun. There's not a classically trained group of performers that I can think of anywhere in the world that can match their stage presence. Somehow, these guys have been able to merge high-level musicianship with the highest caliber showmanship. But for me, their enduring success is a tribute to their devotion to basic musical integrity. I'm very pleased to introduce to the NACOCAST listeners the two founding members of the Canadian Brass. On the line with me from Toronto are trombonist Gene Watts and tuba player Chuck Dallenbach. Chuck and Gene, welcome to the NACOCAST. Hi, Chris. Yeah, thanks a lot. Oh, that was a very nice introduction. I think we could probably stop right there. Oh, oh, oh fine. Well, it's nice talking to you. Be well. Gene, yes. I, I hear you broke your wrist this summer. Were you practicing too hard? What happened? Uh, well, that's part of it. Uh, but after I finished practicing, I went for a bicycle ride. And, you know, I didn't realize that bicycle wheels got caught in streetcar tracks. Oh, this is a known fact to many people. <laughs> I know. And once you know it, you know it for sure. <laughs> How bad was the break? Uh, well, it was it was bad enough. I had a cast on for seven weeks. Left, right. So left hand, uh, right hand. Left, left. Okay. I mean that made it possible after about two weeks to play. I I bought a contraption from Finland that sort of holds a horn up. So a contraption from Finland? You mean somebody <laughs> in Finland makes something for broken hands and for trombone players? It's not really for broken hands, but it's to hold the trombone up. It's sort of like a, yeah. a pole that you carry a flagpole. Yeah, with, I, know, you know? I know what you're talking about. My old colleague, uh, Gordon Cherry in Vancouver, has been using one for years. And yes. It's been a great boon to, to many trombone players. I, but, I know. Well, especially if you have a broken arm. There you go. <laughs> Gene, what I really want to know is how do you keep your embouchure in shape during a recovery like that? Uh, well, uh, when I wasn't playing, I played the mouthpiece. And, uh, and then, uh, actually, I... I practiced about two hours every day. Wow! Yeah. Just, but basically, not not right arm technique stuff. Just just. It's, well, it is right arm. The left arm is yeah. the one that was broken. What's right. really amazing is he had never practiced before. That's right. <laughs> Finally, so, I, I really had to. <laughs> has this encouraged you, Chuck, to consider a break for yourself? <laughs> well, it was uh, it was interesting observing Gene uh, go through this. Well, in, seriously, though, it leads to a, the larger question, which is, you know, how do you, how do you guys stay in shape? And, and I want to say this, I'm about to ask a sensitive question because it's on my mind these days. How do you stay in shape as a performer as your body's getting older? Do you have some changes in tactics in terms of your daily uh, your daily routines? Well, well I, I, I can speak to that. Chuck's not quite old enough. Well, yet. I was just going to say, fortunately, it's such a slow process, you don't even notice. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Until suddenly everyone notices. Incremental, day by day. <laughs> exactly. You have to breathe more often. I, I, I should say that your lungs do get a bit smaller. Uh -huh. So you have to breathe more often. Are you guys both proponents of, of the um, Jacobs School? 
Yes, very much. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? I have a, a whole bunch of listeners here in Ottawa who are really interested in a lot of details about playing. So tell us, tell our audience what exactly I'm talking about and what this whole school is well, about. Well, Arnold Jacobs is probably uh, the century's uh, best known and leading proponent of uh, ease of playing and really efficiency. He was, uh, he was an expert amateur physiologist, amateur in the best sense, very well studied. And uh, from his confidence of knowledge, he could uh, distill the playing process down to very simple uh, concepts. Uh, towards the end of his life, it came wind and song, meaning take a huge breath and, and uh, make sure that the concept of the song, the melody, the sound you want to make is, is uh, very strong in your mind and that uh, most of the physical and physiological action that takes place when you're playing will take care of itself. And uh, he had that confidence from the study of how all of this works. Most teachers are are um, uh, studied, and they'll they'll get involved in little parts of it. And and as soon as you put your awareness on something physiological, it over over strengthens that particular spot. Like even somebody listening to this podcast, suddenly now think of your left knee. Uh, there's an electronic response. As soon as you think of that, your left knee is actually activated to be measured electronically. So the last thing you want to do with somebody that's having trouble playing is draw their attention to that problem because it'll just uh, enlarge the uh, difficulty. So what Arnold Jacobs did through his life was really distill all of this down to very simple instructions and simple concepts to to get you uh, away from the problem and uh, really concentrating on music. And it, it's a beautiful thing for musicians, if you, if you think about it, is if you're having a problem playing, think about the music. <laughs> Exactly. Is is uh, understanding the breath the center of everything for you? What did Jacobs have to say about that? If you can, if you can caps, encapsulate such a holistic philosophy into a few words. Well, he's our spiritual leader. Small. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the breath is. Yeah, you answer because you're doing so well. I mean, I'm just amazed how well you're playing. I'd, I'd hate to inter- interfere here, but the breath is the basis of everything, really. Well, I, l- let wind. me be sm- let me be more specific, and and I'll get back to you, Chuck. The the issue of capacity, especially for low brass players, is having enough air to to put through these gigantic gigantic horns. Well, see, Arnold Jacobs made it. There's another really simple uh, concept because, um, for your listeners, I'm I'm only six foot seven. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. So I'm rather small to be a tuba player. They've had you on the rack lately, haven't they? <laughs> so I'm five feet ten, and I weigh about 165 pounds. Okay. And I'm playing tuba. Usually, you picture a tuba player as being quite a chunky, large, huge kind of a personality, which actually does make it easier for you know the larger player. But there again, Arnold Jacobs, uh, it, 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 it couldn't have been more simple. If you need air, take a breath. Mm-hmm. And he said, as a musician, it's your responsibility to figure out how to get as many breaths as you need and accomplish a beautiful musical line. So someone that's uh, half again bigger than me might be able to play a much longer phrase. So my challenge in practicing or thinking about music is getting that same result uh, and also have to take an extra breath. Or put another way, uh, for you, for example, playing bassoon, uh, you're going to have a higher pressure, air pressure than a tuba, but, but you can play much longer phrases. So if you and I were to play the same phrase, I'd probably br- uh, breathe two or three times in the length of time th- that we play that same phrase together. So the challenge for a tuba player or a large instrument player is to do that in a, in a musical way so that it doesn't 
distract or harm the musical line. Some of our audience may be aware of the term circular breathing, which is a fancy technique wherein uh, some players figure out a way of pushing air through their cheeks and their embouchure for brief moments while they suck in air so that they can keep a sound going. Are you an advocate of circular breathing? Well, I advocate it for anybody that can do it. Personally, I can't, so... Uh... You know, the best uh, exponents of that are the didgeridoo players in Australia. Exactly. They play for hours, and it's really quite amazing. Exactly. But, of course, that whole aesthetic is based upon that continuity of sound. But the aesthetic in, in our wind and brass playing today is based upon a need for musicians to breathe and a need for audiences to breathe along with the musicians. So sometimes that can be overused, can't it? Yeah, I think it can. I, I think a trumpets can use it maybe because, again, the, the air is under a, a lot more pressure. But but still, it, it's almost a joke, you know, when there's no breathing. It's almost electronic. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a fellow uh, Canadian tuba player that, that you know very well, Ellis Ween. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would uh, he would sometimes win auditions because he could play so beautifully and and rotary breathe on a huge instrument. <laughs> it's when it's done right, it's absolutely amazing. Well, yeah. you know, you alluded earlier to the fact of you and I playing me as a bassoonist and you as a tubist uh, playing the same phrase and that you would have to take more breaths. In fact, I can remember some times with Alice where I would have to take many more breaths than he did. <laughs> sure. He so, wasn't always my favorite person because of that, <laughs> uh, but he really, he was quite a virtuoso and continues to be at that. Yeah. Well, in our group, Joe Bergstaller is uh, an expert uh, rotor breathing uh, proponent and uh, can exhibit it. In fact, every night we, we play uh, in our solo show, we do the, the Carmen. And right in the middle of Carmen, with the bullfight's just about to start, he does the, uh, the, the bullfighter song, Virgin of Macarena. And about halfway through, he gets, uh, I guess you'd say, stuck on a note, and it, uh, it just brings the house down. <laughs> I, bet. I bet. Well, you touched on an interesting subject, which is um, a, a new trumpet player in the group. Canadian Brass has maintained this amazing, solid artistic identity, despite the fact that you've had quite a number of personnel changes in the last few years. So what I want to ask you is, how do you go about incorporating a new member into the group? We're lucky. It's the same guy that keeps changing, so continuity is easy. What what kind of an education is it? Because you guys are are famous for not just the excellence of your playing, but for playing a lot of your stuff memorized and having quite a bit of I won't use the term choreography, but certainly a, a, a very complicated stage presentation. So it must take a lot of time to get somebody on board. Well, you know, we're very fortunate because everybody knows who we are now and what we do. So there are a lot of people who who are really highly qualified. I, I think uh, there seems to be many, many talented people now, which is really to our advantage because we find really wonderful players and I don't know how they do it things that took me 20 years to memorize they do it in two days mm-hmm. and and they they read well they play musically and so it's it's been kind of a joy in a way to hear some of the younger players that play so well I have a great memory that connects to this experience you will, will remember in the 80s when Marty Hackelin was playing horn with the Canadian Brass, and I was staying with him in Toronto one week, and he was incredibly stressed because you were working on a television show. But he wasn't stressed about the memorization. He wasn't stressed about the horn playing. He was stressed about the fact that he had to appear as an Indiana Jones-type figure, and he had to crack a whip. <laughs> and I remember poor Marty at 11 o'clock at night out in his backyard for three or four hours straight, desperately trying to crack a whip. <laughs> 
<laughs> so what I have to ask you, so when you make a personnel change in the brass, you're looking for a great player, but you have to find somebody who can crack a whip, too. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Horn. The Raiders of the Lost Horn. since Marty left. That's right. <laughs> but, but the meaning of my question is you're really looking for people who have not just a, a kind of a nerdy focus on playing a brass instrument, but people who are really uh, larger-than-life presence on stage. I, I think in a, in a, uh, in a business sense... Um, I think we're looking for the same kind of personality and person that any uh, functioning ensemble, business uh, group of people is looking for, someone that can fit in socially, can share the same goals and dreams and aspirations and, and share them. It's going to be in different ways. And uh, really want to do something significant with their life and then also make a significant contribution to what what we feel we're bringing to the to our, our audiences. Our, we, we feel we owe this to our audience, for one thing. They've, they've been very good to us. They've stayed with us for 36 years now. Uh, we do have one big advantage. Uh, we created some uh, educational books back in the uh, late 70s. And the idea was that we were concerned about teachers, uh, say a woodwind teacher who has some really vibrant young brass players that want to get together and, and play in an ensemble like ours. And we thought it's hard for us to find repertoire. How in the world is a, a non-brass playing teacher going to find repertoire? So we, we put books together to solve that problem for young players. There's now over 500,000 of these books in use around the world. And ch- uh, children, kids <laughs> all over the world are growing up in a Canadian brass um, concept and philosophy. Did you say 500,000? 500,000. It makes you guys like the John Grisham of of brass (laughs) publishers. That's an extraordinary number. So for most kids now, it'd be like the National Arts Center has been there forever. Well, so is Canadian brass. You know, if you think about it, we started very nearly the same time. Was the Arts Center... um, 69, 69, and you guys started in 70. And in fact, one of our first trumpet players had been the principal trumpet of the National Arts Center Orchestra. Freddie Mills. We have the same kind of uh, history, and and uh, somebody born today, it it just is, it exists. So when someone comes and plays for us, they've probably already been trying to copy. You know, a, a trumpet player, for example, has been trying to copy Fred or Ronnie for years, and trying to you know things that have been on recordings, and uh, it's 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 pretty easy to find uh, people that are already. Pretty, pretty steeped in the uh, the quintet concept. You mentioned, of course, those two great trumpeters, Freddie Mills and Ronnie Rahm, who were in the group when I first met you in mm-hmm. the 70s. Mm-hmm. It was a very long-lasting incarnation of the Canadian brass. Very much so, and that's a very, that's a unique situation. Uh, even more than a string quartet where you have the two violins having to work together, uh, string quartets over a 300-year period decided you needed a first and a second, and basically they're hired to be exactly that. In the uh, brass, uh, being a first trumpet would be way too strenuous. So it's a shared book, and that means uh, not only do they get to be first trumpet, but they get an equal chance to be second trumpet. And that's a a real supportive and wonderful role when when done properly. And that's what Ron and Fred had worked out from day one, was not only to be able to stand forward and be great soloists, but they could also be really wonderful uh, supportive cast. But I see you've got a completely novel approach for the trumpet section this season. Can you tell me about that? 
You have team, something called talk the, about our dream team. The dream team. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, we we've been through a few a few players recently, uh, as you know, and it's not necessarily a problem of finding people who are good enough, but finding people who, uh, in a sense, are willing to make the sacrifice of traveling a lot and playing wonderful halls and great cities. Uh, it, it, it's really a great experience for a little while sometimes. And, and, and sometimes after about three years, they'd say, gee, am I going to have to do this the rest of my life? I want to get married. I want to have a family, etc." So some people are sort of wired to perform and to be a part of that all the time. And some people need more downtime. So, uh, in, in a sense, we found maybe about five people who love to play with us, and we love to play with them, but they do have to have other lives. And uh, we call it the dream team. So, we have people who played with us, like uh, Ryan Anthony. He's now playing first in Dallas, but he loves to play with us. So, anytime he can come and play with us, we welcome him. And... Uh, Ronnie Rahm, um, who you know played so many years with us, is teaching and has a little more uh, home life, but yet he still loves to come out and perform, so he's another one. And we found a young genius uh, at Juilliard who will be playing with us uh, in Ottawa. And, uh, and he's, he's so excited uh, to play with us. He's sort of a young Chris Millard of the trumpet. Like, yeah. 20 years old, this guy's playing like... Yeah, with like, better intonation, I hope. <laughs> seasoned, uh, you know, seasoned professional. <laughs> well, this sounds like, actually sounds like a great thing for the group, having people move in and out. I know as a performer, I love moving in and out of ensembles. It's so in, rejuvenating, invigorating for everybody. Yes, it is. So it sounds like a great, uh, great idea. Now, talk about playing... And they're the- there because they want to be, and that's so important. It's not a job, you know. Can you talk to me a little bit about about your work with other brass ensembles? Because I know it's part of your schedule every year, scheduling concerts with some of the other great uh, brass groups, sections from orchestras, etc. We invented we invented the double brass quintet idea actually in Ottawa in uh, 1984, 1983-84. We brought the uh, New York Philharmonic principal players up to share a. Um, Let's see, it was called Arts Canada, the CBC concert uh, broadcast. In fact, that was the first concert that Marty played with us. And uh, from those humble beginnings, we've uh, recorded with the New York Philharmonic and the Boston Brass. Uh, we've, we've done things like the uh, Fantasia on a theme of Thomas Tallis by Von Williams with, uh, with this configuration. We did the Beethoven, complete Beethoven Symphony Number no. 5 with large brass assemblage. So we've made uh, half a dozen recordings with large brass, and and uh, it's something that uh, it's a sound we really love. It's 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 a scheduling nightmare, of course, but it's really fun to do. And uh, we're about to uh, make a recording. It's called Legends uh, with the large brass ensemble again. And in this case, we're able to use some of our really fine alumni as the uh, the uh, other part of the ten piece brass. You mentioned that those. Uh collaborations with some of those great orchestral brass players can be a scheduling nightmare. <laughs> is it an authority nightmare? I mean, is, is, is it very much a cooperative, happy venture, or do, do you get disagreements about style? 
Well, there was that one guy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, actually, uh, again, they love quintets, and and they sort of uh, give a lot to what we do. But, I mean, when you're playing with the New York Philharmonic, they do have their own style, which is exciting to us as well. So uh, I, I remember once we went, to, uh, we played with the Berlin Philharmonic. We did a recording, and I said, this is going to be great because they have such a different style than we have. And after uh, a couple sessions, we started recording, and then we started listening back, and we couldn't tell who was who. So <laughs> musicians love to blend, and they love to play together. And that's I think, overrides any, any too much feeling of a style. Tell me about your upcoming program with the National Arts Center Orchestra. Well, I just happen to have it right here in front of me. <laughs> I think the, the exciting uh, piece for us is the Tovey, and uh, I think, Chuck, you should, you should talk about that. because well, Bramwell Tovey, uh, you may know it, uh, a Canadian composer, Bramwell Tovey from uh, England, wrote, <laughs> wrote us a, uh, a wonderful piece, a quintet, that uh, we've, we've uh, had over 150 performances. Think of a contemporary piece getting this kind of performance. Of course, our listeners know that that what we are talking about the very same man who's the distinguished conductor of the Vancouver Symphony. Right. So Bramwell uh, uh, wrote this really appealing piece. So uh, since he's in, uh, his primary uh, job these days is conductor of many wonderful orchestras, we we asked him if he would write us a piece uh, for uh, brass quintet and symphony orchestra, which he did. It's called Manhattan Music. It was inspired by the the uh, pace and excitement and uh, joy and all that of, uh, of being in the city of New York. He was conducting the New York Philharmonic one summer at the very same time he was working on this piece. So it, a lot of this uh, wonderful, positive, exciting feeling got into this uh, piece of music. So work for quintet and full orchestra? Right. And he's or- done a big orchestration, has he? Correct. Cool. Yeah. And it's uh, it's quite wonderful. It's um uh, we, we premiered out in Vancouver one year ago, and uh, we were most eager to, to bring it to Ottawa. We think, uh, it's, it's, again, Bramwell has a, a knack, an ability to write very charming and approachable music, but it's uh, what you'd consider very serious music. He's, a, he's an extremely uh, uh, brilliant composer and very well-trained. He so is indeed, and it's interesting that his personal background through his family, was a Salvation Army background. Mm-hmm. And he had in his blood an understanding of brass ensembles. Well, he said he was out on the streets as a young boy playing the, uh, the, the tuba. He was an accomplished tuba player. He was actually playing in the... Uh, the uh, um, he was the alternate tuba in the London Symphony Orchestra when he was a uh, uh, college-age student. Yes. Yeah. And um, whenever possible, you know, when tuba player players have... Uh, the ability or the talent, they uh, they usually pass out of the uh, tuba playing phase, you know, in their early 20s. He made it out. But I'm glad to tell you he's one of the many conductors I know who circular breathes while conducting. <laughs> now, that could be dangerous. <laughs> Speaking about conducting, the guest conductor for your show is Alain Trudel. Yes. Now, he's yeah. one of the world's great trombone players. He certainly he's is, one, and he's becoming one of the good uh, conductors as well. Have you worked with him so, before? Uh, n- n- he hasn't actually conducted us, mm-hmm. not in that manner, but we're really looking forward to He's it. He's younger than us. We can push him around, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, it's a wonderful talent, and, and yeah. it's very engaging on the podium. I've seen him conduct. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So tell me, you guys, you've been, the, the Canadian Brass has been the center of your professional lives for, what, 36 years? 
And two of you have really been the sustaining force, haven't you? Okay. Before, well, yeah, before you answer certainly that, Chuck. <laughs> here's what I want to... If you ever retire, say, in another 35 years, is, it, is the group going to go on after you? Well, I think the way that we've established, even, even the way that we, uh, we stay... We keep very short uh, uh, leads between us and, and our alumni. And the way that we've replaced ourselves, not with old buddies from college, but with really young, fresh, uh, the best talent... We think that it has a very, a very good chance of, of uh, continuing. Oh, I wish you, wish you the best. I know you're about to start on a big tour, taking yeah. you from Victoria to Ottawa. <laughs> I see Los Angeles, New Jersey. You're playing right. Avery Fisher Hall in a few weeks. Yeah. Virginia, yeah. and then back to Toronto for a Christmas concert. We're very blessed. We you, get to play the... Uh, in fact, I think uh, we've, we've been in virtually every new major concert hall in... Uh, North, North America. America. I can't say all of them in the world, but a, a high share. But Disney Hall is uh, back on our schedule, and um, always fun to play these really great concert halls. Well, you know, it's fun coming to your concerts. I'm looking forward to playing one with you. So I can tell you, everybody in the orchestra is looking forward to a fun CTV pops this week with you. So I, I should add yeah. quickly: we are playing a few Christmas carols, okay. Christmas songs uh, with. Hollywood arrangements are very wonderful. And then the second half is dedicated to Luther Henderson, who's written us the classical Duke Ellington. And uh, we end with St. Louis Blues. Well, how about that we go out on uh, that great Luther Henderson uh, classical Duke stuff, shall we? That'd be great. Gene Watts, Chuck Dallenbach, thank you so much for your time. We're looking forward to seeing you in a few days in Ottawa. Great, Chris. Great. Thank you. Bye now. Canadian Brass Holiday Extravaganza with the National Arts Centre Orchestra begins Thursday, November 30th at 8pm, repeats December 1 and December 2, all these concerts of course, 8 o'clock at Southern Hall at the National Arts Centre here in Ottawa. Send us your comments and questions. As always, you can reach us by sending an email to nacocast at gmail.com. We always look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this and all the other NAC podcasts by visiting nac.ca slash podcasts. And there you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and detailed instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Just search on NACOcast. That's N-A-C-O-C-A-S-T. Thanks again for listening to the NACOcast. Until next time, this is Christopher Millard in Ottawa.